MaxScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. All right, so welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast uh, community for black educators. Glad you can join the show. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Let them know uh, what you're currently doing, where you currently work. And what your current title is. Hi, my name is Keela. I currently work in Maryland, Prince George's County Public Schools, and I'm an avid coordinator. All right. Well, thank you for joining the show. What is an avid coordinator? So avid stands for advancement via individual determination, and it's a college prep course. Uh, gearing students toward maximizing their potential um, in terms of college readiness, in terms of getting them ready for standardized testing, AP classes, college awareness and knowledge, and just the overall aspects of being able to get ready for academics after K-12. Um, so where, where does AVID come from? So AVID started in Long Beach, California, and it was originally started as a class to help the students who were in the middle with middle GPAs to help propel them and boost them to get ready to take advanced placement classes, which would in turn prepare them to be able to succeed and sustain and graduate in college. Okay, so take us back a bit. How did you actually get into education up to this point? Oh, so good answer. I'm sorry. Good question. Um, it started senior year of college. I went to Howard University, and a friend of mine um, asked me if I wanted to go on the alternative spring break trip with the chapel. She was a chapel assistant, and I told her, yes, I would go. And so we ended up going to Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And there were two, two pools of activities that you could get involved in. Either it was going to work in a classroom with a teacher or you could do Habitat for Humanity. I am not a hands-on, get dirty kind of girl. So I was like, oh, I'll go work with the teacher. I fell in love with the classroom. I fell in love with that teacher. I taught math. My dad's an engineer. I love math. Um, I subsequently applied for Teach for America, went all the way to the end, got an interview, did not get in in the letter, because of course this is before email. I got a letter in the mail stating that I was not I was not accepted. And there was a second letter for other ways to help with social and educational change. 
And I remember being on the yard with friends and one of them was reading the letter, was one was reading the flyer. And she was like, oh, look, you can go teach in Mississippi for two years and get a free master's degree. And they laughed. And I was like, I laughed to myself, too. I'm, like, I'm not going to Mississippi, but my dad's from Mississippi. I spent all my summers growing up in Mississippi with my grandma three weeks every summer. I went back and I called the guy later on that afternoon. He told me that applications were due that day. But if I got it to him by tomorrow morning, because the committee was not meeting to the afternoon, he would submit my application. And that next week I received a phone call that said that I was accepted. And so this was all happened like May 1st and I was graduating Mother's Day weekend. And so it was a really quick turnaround. Memorial Day weekend, my parents and I were driving down to Oxford, Mississippi, so I could move into the dormitory and start um, the program, Mississippi Teacher Corps, at Ole Miss. And I taught for two years math in Mississippi and then moved across the border to Memphis and happened to get a job teaching AVID um, three times a week at a middle school. And then the other two, I was to teach Algebra One. And it was under a federal grant called the Gear Up Grant, um, which is a six-year grant. And so I stayed with the kids. I started with them in eighth grade. And they had another teacher, seventh grade, who quit. So I moved with my same group of students from eighth grade to the 12th grade. And I fell in love with them. And then after that, I taught special ed. And now I'm back home in Maryland teaching Abbott again. So that's my story. Awesome, and thank you for sharing that. Now, when we first met, what year was that? Was that 2000 and... It had to be 2000. It had to be 2000. No, it was it was nine going into 10. Or it could have been January of 2010. So when we first met, we met through the Teaching Fellows. How'd you get involved in the Teaching Fellows? Okay, so I received an email somehow from somebody Um to apply to be a selector. I think that's the job that we did, mm-hmm. selector. And then we worked on Saturdays. And so we made it to the final round. I remember we met in the little boardroom right, right. at the teacher center that night. And um, and so that's how we went with the program. So they just, ra- they just randomly emailed you to be a selector? I can't remember that far back. It might have yeah, you know, we receive emails all the time in our work email and apply right. for the job, and that's how we apply. Okay, okay. Well, that would make sense, because at the time, you were working for Memphis City Schools, right? Right. Right, yeah, that makes sense. They were recruiting uh, teachers uh, with experience to become selectors. So that's how we met, so that was dope. Um, right. And how long did you stay in that position as a selector with the teaching fellows? I worked all the way until they eventually left Memphis. So we worked with Jessica Cardula, um, who I still keep in contact to this day. And um, I worked Saturday as a selector and then during the weekdays going through applications. And then I would go up there in the summertime um, as needed to be able to work with them to alleviate some of the office stress from many new recruits and hirees coming in in the summer and troubleshooting. That's dope. That's dope. And shout out to Jessica. You know where she is? No, I don't. Hmm. We just email. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and, and listeners, for those who don't know what we're referring to, the Teaching Fellows, um, very similar to TFA, Teach for America, um, is all over the you know country, basically, and they train uh, college graduates to become teachers. 
Um, so as long as you, you know, have a bachelor's degree and something that could be uh, in a core subject, then they will train you over the summer. And it's a process you have to go through. Um, and I don't know, last I checked, you could potentially get a master's degree uh, last time I checked. Um, how I went through it is I finished and went to University of Memphis to finish mine. Um, but I know they kind of changed that whole licensure program and whatnot before they left. And um, what year did they leave? Was that uh, 20? Was that 20? I don't know because I left the district in 2014. I feel like it was, I feel like I was 2012. It, no, it 2013? had to be 2013. Right. 13, 2013. And one of the reasons they probably left was the uh, the money that Bill Gates Foundation had um, that race to the top. Those funds dried up, right? I think so. Yeah, I think that's how they were funded as part of the race to the top funding. Um, so then they left. Um, so that's interesting. That's interesting. But if you are listening to this podcast and you are looking for a program to jump into, most states offer it. Um because you said your your program that you went through was called the Mississippi. Yeah, I highly I highly recommend Mississippi Teacher Corps MTC. Okay. It's through Ole Miss, and it's a two year commitment to teach in Mississippi, live and work. And Ole Miss pays for your master's degree. You're cohorted, so the people you begin with, you end with. And Dr. Joe Sweeney, who was in the cohort before me, he's the director now. Um, he's originally from the North, the Midwest. He's from he's from Michigan. And he is um, super approachable um, and he's willing to work with everybody. And I think that teaching students in rural America will give you the best awakening of social and educational justice that you need to revive your soul. And you, the connections that I made in those two years, I still have those connections to this day. I would not have changed that experience for anything in the world. But if you don't want to teach in Mississippi, wherever you live, um, check the Department of Education for your particular state. You should be able to find and discover some programs that are available. Check the flagship or one of the top universities in your state. Um, they should have some information about a potential program. If you've decided that, hey, I studied in you know psychology or something pertaining to science or math or English or whatever it is, and you might have an opportunity to actually become an educator going through one of those programs. It's usually going to require some sacrifice for you over the summertime once you're accepted into that program. Uh, and then, of course, you'll have to take ongoing classes for licensure and then, you know, hopefully a master's degree as well. So dope, 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 dope. Right. And then TFA is still around too. Teach for America. They're practically everywhere. So you can always apply the TFA. Um which had, had, gave me a question for you. What you did, what we did for the teaching fellows, which is under the umbrella of the new teacher project, did you ever do anything similar to that for TFA? No, I was not in Teach for America. Oh, but you can apply for different jobs with them, but no, I yeah. did not. Okay, all right, all right. And I don't know why, in my head, I thought you were a TFA member, but that makes sense. You said you applied, didn't get in, but you got into this other program and... Okay, it's all good. I like it. So, do you think do you think those programs are effective? The um, uh, what do they call them? Um, like similar to Teach for America. What do they call those programs? Yeah. So alternative, alternative route. route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that question is very um, subjective because I think that um, each program offers different benefits. So for instance, with my program, it's a guarantee. You just teach for those two years and Ole Miss will pay for your degree and you leave with that degree. But then you have other programs where, um, like for instance, with TFA, where they may send you to Baltimore. And so you're teaching there and you're guaranteed to be accepted into Johns Hopkins master's degree program in education. Mm. And you get a percentage off the tuition, but you must register for your classes and you must pay. Whereas those two things were done for you in the other program. And then you have other programs. Another one I highly recommend is a one in Memphis, um, urban teacher fellows type programs where you go and you're following a teacher for a year. So you're like a teacher in residence and then you teach for, I, I don't remember, but two to three years. And I don't know how the programming when it was, it comes to the master's degree works for them. And so I think that there's these different levels of programs and they all have the different quantitative research and qualitative research that follows behind them after years to see what works and what doesn't. I'm still in the teaching field. And so, um, it works for me. Uh, a lot of the people and a great amount of the people that I graduated with are still in education. Maybe they're not in the classroom, but they're in the right. education field. Right. And I, and I can speak to that to piggyback on what you're saying, because I am a product of the new teacher project, the Memphis teaching fellows. That's how I got into education. Um, I did go to grad school for higher education, but K through 12, um, I have to credit that to the Memphis teaching fellows and the new teacher project. And I'm still in education and this is my career that I have chosen. I'm going to remain in education for the foreseeable future unless something else happens. Uh, that's going to be amazing. Um, but you know, I, I definitely recommend, and a lot of my cohorts I graduated with, they're still in education, um, and, and actually will be featured on the show as well, too. So I, I'm grateful that there are programs like that exist. I would advise for those listeners listening, thinking about getting an education that might want to get into these programs, please find a program that's going to be 100 percent funded um, and also find a program where you can indeed get your licensure and master's degree as a brand new teacher. Trust me, you need as much you know, molding and going through the theories and application and working with other teachers in your graduate courses as much as possible. Because, you know, your first year teaching, and, you know, by the way, your first year teaching more than likely is going to be, um, what do they call it, license, uh, transitional license or like an emergency transitional license? Is that what it's called? Um, it's probably different in each Yeah, state. something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Basically, it's a I temporary... Yeah, basically it's a temporary license. So, you know, again, for listeners who are listening, highly recommend um, that, you know, if you look for that program, it's fully funded and you might be able to earn a master's degree at the end of it. So why not? All right. Anyways, so um, what is the overall career goal for you? Because me knowing you personally, I know you've been to different schools, different dif uh, districts, city, states, um, and you're still in it. So what what would be your career goal five years, 10 years from now? What's the overall goal for you? So my overarching goal ultimately is to write a series of children's books for black and brown children, as well as the, the, the goal I'm shooting for is to be the first appointed black female um, secretary of education. If I happen to be 
second in charge or get another appointed position. I'm fine with that. But it is to go work in federal policy in the education sector. And it makes sense with you being from the DMV area that you would have those uh, uh, goals. And um, and right now, you're in the doctorate program, correct? I am. And, and what is the uh, program specifically? So it's a doctorate in educational leadership for K-12 practitioners. So is it an EDD or a PhD? It's an EDD. Okay. And... Um, how far do you have left? I am in my dissertation writing phase right now. Nice. Congrats. How, how's that experience been? So that experience has been marked by difficulty, <laughs> but I am enjoying the path that I'm on. I feel like it's a um, definitely I've had a lot of come to Jesus moments where my pride has been broken down. My, um, um, I would say the things that I lack where it come, come into English and writing wise, where I thought that I was good in, um, has also been exposed. And I've had to ask a lot of people for help and be on a lot of people's time and spend a lot of time reading and researching I've had to learn how to realign my time and cut a lot of things out that I like in order to focus on the goal. I have, you know, and I'll be honest, I have lost a few close friends um, that I did not think was going to actually happen to me on this journey. Um, So that's sad on one instance, but on the other instance, I have also gained some new friends that I would have never met had I not been on this journey. And so, and I've, I've actually met a lot of women, especially who, um, already have their doctorates who are administrators in this Maryland area who have given me a lot of help and support, as well as there are some administrators I know in Memphis working on theirs currently. And so I can reach out to them and bounce ideas off of. Dope. Super dope. And so what's the topic for your dissertation? What's your subject? So right now, because I have not defended my proposal, I will just say that my topic surrounds restorative justice and mindfulness in the K-12 setting. Elaborate on that a little bit. Break that down for us. Um, So we all know that restorative justice is used to hone in on student behaviors and to help create a much more focused school climate. And then, of course, mindfulness is um, a breathing technique, a thinking technique to help you manage your stress, uh, listen more deeply, and to just diffuse classroom situations when things get tense or when you yourself as as an administrator or a teacher become tense. So, is so it's the, just, it's surrounding that. Okay. So is the research um, that you are finding, is that more focused on the students or the teachers or both? It's going to be focused on both. 
And so is part of the research the fact that we have so many black and brown kids being suspended and thrown in ISS and it's having a negative impact on their academic achievement? So that's definitely one caveat. My research is not going to wholly focus on that. It'll more so focus on the administrator's role in role in implementing these techniques. And as part of those uh, techniques, is it like the, I can't think of the name of it. It's like the positive behavior. Um, Intervention system, PBIS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have been doing that at my middle school for approximately three years. Um, And it includes an incentive system. We have a game room um, where there's Xbox and PlayStation 4 in there, TVs, badminton, places to sit and read, magazines, um, all types of stuff in there. And so the kids are granted an opportunity on a particular day, supervised, to go in there uh, during their during their lunchtime, um, where they're allowed to you know take their food in there and play games and and, and do whatever they want to do, uh, have a good time. It also means um, every Friday, including the administrators, uh, all have a group or a class of about ten kids, and uh, we go through this system called Second Step, the Second Step program, um, which is basically curriculum where we are talking through, you know, like right now we're working on their emotions. Uh, The previous unit was like about friendships. Uh, The previous unit before that was about, you know, being in middle school and, you know, living up to, you know, whatever expectations your parents and teachers and what you have for yourself and how to de-stress. So it is a good program. I enjoy it. Um, The kids enjoy it for the most part. and I say for the most part, because there are some some kids who have not bought into it and they just see it as a waste of time. Um, but for most kids, you know, the incentive program, the incentive system. Um, also, the other part of that is that kids can earn what we call stallion points. And we just, oh. it goes online. It's like a Google drop down where you just, you know, give them 10 points for, you know, positive behavior. Or uh, if you see someone helping someone out or, you know, kids out of a pencil and it's, can I borrow a pencil and someone automatically volunteers for them? Something like that. And they can take those points and they can buy stuff. So there's like an Xbox. There's like an iPad tablet in there. Um, there's standard school supplies. There's candy in there. There's chips in there. There's all dip shirts and hoodies in there, you know, with the, the oh, school nice. logo on there. So there's a lot of different things that they can earn points and buy. Um, and I think for the most part, you know, we're not necessarily in the rural area because, you know, I'm out in Millington, um, but it's it's kind of close to it. It's like a mix between city and rural. Um, and mm-hmm. so with that, um, it's an interesting crowd. You know, I don't teach, you know, 100 percent or 90 or percent African-American kids. It's, it's very diverse. Um, right. I'm a mixture. I probably have like maybe 40 five percent african-american kids and that number is even less for me because i'm in the gifted class um but i will say that overall um it's a pretty positive program we really don't have as many problems as most schools um at this grade level do um so i'm thankful for that so anyways i say all that to say i'm looking forward to your research and and your dissertation and um thank you yeah i know you'll do great things with that so how long have you been working on it three years and uh so when's it gonna be done 
whenever I get finished. <laughs> it's it's on my timeline right now. So it's however long I take to write, however long I think I want to pay tuition. Now, did you correct me if you're wrong? Did you did you have an EDS already before you started the doctorate program? Uh yes. Okay. All right. All right. I I think that one of my strengths. I've never taken that test, but I've read the book. Um, one of my strengths is is knowledge mm-hmm. seeking. Whether that knowledge really gets divulged into the world, but it's just acquiring and seeking knowledge. So when I'm on teams. Um, I know the knowledge and I can discuss the, the, the knowledge and the research that people might need, which is why I like policy because I'm more of a behind the scenes type person. Um, and so I just like seeking knowledge. You know, and it's, um, I, I thought about you cause I actually applied to the program and I almost got in, I almost got in, but, uh, do you remember the score office in Tennessee? Yes. So the score office uh, had this uh, fellowship program, and I think they hired 31 teachers across Tennessee. They're getting paid $15,000, a $15,000 stipend um, in policy, policy work. And I almost made it. I was right there that very last interview. I almost made it. But I won't lie. I wasn't as thoroughly prepared as I normally am for that because I'm not like very um, knowledgeable on a lot of educational policies. Like I know the basics and the foundation of it, but like of stuff that's going on right now, I really don't pay a huge amount of attention to it unless it affects me in my classroom. Um, so I could have been better prepared for it. So I'm, I'm thankful that I made it that far, but I know like something like that, if you were in Tennessee, you would have applied and you would have got it. You would have killed it. Um, but yeah, it's an extra 15,000 and it's not as though it's that much work. It is some additional work every month. Um, but a lot of it is like online and, uh, via, you know, just digital communication. It's not even necessarily having to travel somewhere all the time. Um, although there is some requirements to travel to whatever your state, uh, uh, office is. So I guess for us, the closest office would be Jackson, Tennessee out in Memphis. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then a couple of times you'd have to travel to Nashville, which is like, oh, you want me to travel to Nashville where you'll feed me and give me a per diem and reimburse me for my travel and put me in a nice hotel? Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's do that. And you're paying me 15000 for the year extra. Let's do that. So, oh, so right. sad I didn't get it. But yeah. Um, is there something right, similar? Because I think that they definitely need to, um, if if we have so diversity is going up in student population year after year after year. And it'll be interesting once the 2020 census comes out. Um, so that'll be something very important to watch policy wise. Um, having my students look at the kind of questions that are on the census. Um, I want to make them knowledgeable and know how does the census work and that it counts against you when your family doesn't fill it out. Right. And so on one instance, the way policy works at the bottom, they don't make people aware and then when money issues arise on the back end, mm-hmm. you can't be a part of that voice that opposes if you know that you did not voice at the bottom end, at the front end. Right. That and so, um, right. And so there has to also be a push for policy. Administrators need classroom teachers need to reflect the student population administrators need to reflect the student population and policymakers need to reflect the student population. But 
We know that's not true. I just went to a really excellent uh, forum, actually, in D.C. about three weeks ago. The man who spoke is like a chair in residence at Vanderbilt right now and in education. And he he quoted statistics, and I might not be getting the number exactly right, but 56% of the teaching population is white women. I can believe and, that. I can believe that. Correct. And we know that historically, we don't know... Um, we, we just don't know how does that fare out with the fact that 56% of the student population is not white. Right. So it's not a balance. Yeah, there's definitely a disparity there um, between, you know, as far as representation is concerned. And I see it all the time whenever I do go to Nashville for the state. Um, and I don't do this... Um, out of uh, resentment or I'm trying to pull, you know, a race card or anything like that. But, you know, subconsciously, I'll look around the room and, you know, be a hundred educators around me invited to work for the state for, you know, whatever committee I'm a part of. And, you know, I'm looking like how many African-American males are here besides myself? And I'll look around and I'll look around and I'll look around. Sometimes there's another one. Last time I was there, not too long ago, a couple of months ago, it was just me. I was the only African-American male educator there on this committee um, related to assessments. And it, 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 it makes me upset. So then I'll go next to how many African-American women are here. And I can usually always count, you know, maybe three, four, five at the most. But we're saying out of 100. And everybody else is a is a white woman for the most part. Maybe a few white guys in there, but for the most part, it's all white women. I'm like, something's wrong. Like, are we not applying for these opportunities because we don't know about them? We're genuinely not yeah, interested so, in them. Like, what's the issue? And and that just upsets me. Yeah. So I've had that dialogue with a few friends of mine who are in the program and out. And one thing is, <clears throat> with all the new policy initiatives coming in and hitting the K twelve classroom teacher you find that you're, there's not enough room left in the day like there used to be, even when I started teaching, to focus on other things. There's not enough time to be a coach and be a teacher and and Preach. hone in Preach. on some type of extra, <laughs> let me write a book or a blog about what, I, what kind of instructional strategies I do in my class of black boys that work. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of instructional strategies that I do with black girls who talk too much that work? What um, what kind of workshop could I present to the faculty? There's just not enough room in the day. And time management becomes a factor because they have put so much extra stuff on the classroom teacher and added only $100 more to your paycheck in essence. And so there's not enough time to fill out applications to apply for things unless you take a sabbatical, unless you are never having a social life in this world. And so I think, I think part of it is we can blame it on people just not having enough time to apply. And then when you apply, what are you saying are your experiences? Right. If you've never done anything outside of the classroom before, that's a good point. That's a good point. What can I say? Mamba out. 
Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never tried, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't slave in our history, one don't slave.